We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to the Barcelona Podcast, episode number 60. We'll bring you the hottest breaking stories from the Camp No. Dan Hilton, alongside Frances Tomas, as always, across the ocean joining me. If this is your first time listening, or maybe not your first time listening, but you haven't done it so yet, thanks again for tuning in. But we'd like you to go with your iPhone and please subscribe via iTunes. If you got an Android, it's Google Play and on Spotify on either. Please give us five stars. That'd be great. And you can find us on social media as well on Twitter at the Barcelona Pod or Hilton D13 for me. And on Instagram at the Barcelona Pod, of course. And also we're on Facebook as well. Frances, big show 60. I think there's some expectations coming with that. What's going on today? So we've got plenty in store today, but before we start, I'm delighted to say that we've got a new sponsor. It's Ticket Compare, and they sell tickets for the Camp Nou so that you can experience the best team in the world live. Um, basically, I constantly get contacted about the best way to get tickets online, how to get them, and you know, fans really, really want to flood the Camp Nou, and you know, understandably why. Um, however, a lot of the time they are sold out, especially for big matches. And if you're going to somewhere like, say, the Barca website, you can only get tickets for the Camp Nou. So if you've got very tight dates, e.g. you're going to Barcelona for just a weekend or something, and Barca happen to play away, then really there isn't much of a solution. Now, if you go to tvport.link forward slash tickets, that's tvport.link forward slash tickets, um, you will be able to buy any tickets for any home or away match. Now, the, the prices do vary, so you're going to go and buy Chelsea-Barca tickets. They are a little bit more pricey, but you know they range between 40 to 60 euros, which is what you would get pretty much anywhere else, but that also includes away games. But I would say go check it out. It's tvpod.link forward slash tickets. Now, what am I going to say? I mean, to, for me, there's nothing like the experience of visiting the Camp Nou to watch Messi, Xavi, Iniesta... And Suarez, obviously not Xavi anymore, but Suarez live down there. It's something that you'll remember forever if you've never done it before. Nothing ever compares. You always remember your first time. And, you know, I'm still talking about going to the Camp Nou. So behave. So if you're thinking about visiting Barcelona, just head over to tbpod.link forward slash tickets for a surprise you and yours will never forget. Also remember that any purchase you make through that link, that's tbpod.link forward slash tickets, uh, will get a tiny percentage that will help us support the show so it's a win-win situation 
we really do hope that you enjoy your visit to the Camino. And we're again excited to have finally a sponsor to help us out with the shows and continue to help us do what we do and also a special thanks to our patrons as well well frances we've gone through the administrative stuff the housekeeping so now let's get to la gran pregunta which is today should pk become barcelona's fourth captain and the reason obviously this coming up is all the news whether it's in catalonia or abroad gerard pk is at the center of attention after the game against espanol and the relationship between Gerard Piquet, not in Barcelona, but the relationship between Gerard Piquet and Espanyol was such an interesting one where not only did the 1-1 draw mean that Barcelona set a new club record for an unbeaten start to a league season, something that even Pep Guardiola never did. It's now at 22 La Liga games to start a season. And for Piquet, he scored his sixth goal versus Espanyol. And this, the little stat there is that he has not scored more than three against any other team. So that just tells you that the intention that PK has against a team such as Espanyol, though, again, if we did that kind of thing to Messi, you'd notice that for some reason Messi must hate Leverkusen and Osasuna, who he never plays against because he's banged in quite a few goals against them in his time. But nevertheless, this is about PK. And the reason we're asking whether or not he could be the fourth captain is because with the departed Javier Mascherano in the winter transfer window, that means the fourth captain role is now up behind Iniesta, Messi, and Busquets, so he could be the one. And it seems like the natural choice, Frances, but I think the question we're trying to answer is what merit does he have to accept that fourth captaincy? Well, if you're basically just the numbers, um, according to Wikipedia, there's 399 appearances for Barca already, so he's about to go into his 400th appearance. He scored 35 goals for Barca in the last 10 seasons since he joined us from Manchester United for a fee of just 5 million euros, which, think about it, Piquet for 5 million. How has the world of football evolved since then? Um, 24 collective titles for Barca uh, in the decade that he's been with us, including six La Ligas and three Champions Leagues. Obviously, he also won three collective titles with United, although... His role at United was certainly not as prominent as he has been at Barca. Um, in this period, 94 international appearances with Spain, despite being constantly jeered and, you know, generalized reject coming his way from the vast majority of Spanish fans, which, you know, I, I personally wouldn't be able to put up with it, but, you know, full admiration to be careful putting up with it so well over the years. Um, Piquet has been in the FIFA 5th Pro World Eleven pretty much every year since 2010. He's been in the first team in 2010, 11, 12 and 16 and alternating the second and third team every other year since 2010. Now, as we know, Piquet is the ultimate defender. He's someone who lives and breathes the Barca batch. He combines strength. Uh, he's very good in terms of passing. His technique building from the back is, is incredible and you know, rightfully so, he was by the guys at the Spanish football podcast, uh, Phil Kitro, producer Al and, and Sid Lowe. They picked him um, in these 21st century legends starting centre-backs. And that really does say a lot because, as we know, for example, Phil works for Real Madrid TV. So for him to accept that Piquet is ahead of Ramos in La Liga, it actually, I thought it was quite remarkable and quite funny. So... Um, yeah, someone who is has been incredible and still is incredibly powerful and influential within the dressing room, but also on the pitch. And um, I do think that 
you can't really fault Piquet's performances on the pitch during his time at Barca. Yeah, and it's interesting and very complicated as we talk about his relationship as a representation of the greater region of Catalonia and where that even clashes with Espanyol. And some of the backstory of the game against Espanyol, and again, so many of our listeners probably know already, but obviously Piquet stoked the flames and said before the derby that the other club, being Espanyol, plays in Cornea. And we're actually going to answer this in a listener question in the Patreon episode. So if you head over to our Patreon show in just about a day's time, you can hear where we get a little more into how Espanyol and Cornea and what all that means. Nevertheless, anyway, Gerard Moreno from Espanyol, who ironically enough plays with PK for the times when the Catalonian national team, which isn't FIFA sanctioned, but does meet occasionally. They played a friendly against Argentina a while ago. They usually play the Basque country 11 as well, where they get together. But Mourinho and Pique, who played together in theory for the Catalonian national team, responded and said, Espanol, the badge itself says that it's located in Barcelona, as obviously the badge says, Espanol Club of Barcelona. So that was the response. And then you really saw how personal all of that is to both of those players because Mourinho with that hard tackle on PK, PK of course after scoring the goal, trying to shush the crowd, and tension in such a quagmire, a mess of a match. Tensions were at an an all-time high, and you have to think that if the rain wasn't affecting the players in the ways it it was, that someone truly could have got hurt other than just PK with his uh, knee ligament, which we found out most recently today that will affect Valverde's rotations, and we'll get into that a little bit later. PK is only going to be out for a few weeks now as opposed to even longer as as first suspected. But nevertheless, Frances, going back to what he means to Barcelona, we even talk about what he could be in the future. Of course, one of his nicknames is El Presidente, as in a future president of the club. He's the celebrity captain for me, as in he could be the celebrity captain. He's married to Shakira. And while Messi has more reserved personality, Iniesta, of course, is almost reverent to a point in the way he goes about his business. And Busquets is also, yes, he gets into the official's face and has those conversations, but Busquets is also a, a much more reserved character off the pitch. But PK is the guy that's on Instagram, on social media, really getting that brand out there. And to me, he really does seem to be a brand captain, where again, he's got the celebrity wife and he is the guy that is not afraid of the spotlight. And I think you need a a captain like that on your team. You need a guy to to absorb and take all that pressure off your teammates. Yeah, you're spot on. Um, Every single fight you just gave is is true. I mean, that's that's what he is. That's what he represents. And that is something that we really admire from him. I, I just want to add as well, He's very silly behind the scenes. You know, he's always playing pranks on his teammates. Um, I remember once coming back, I think he was from a game in Sevilla, actually, and he was trying to record people. You know, I don't really use Snapchat, but I'm pretty sure a lot of our listeners do. And apparently it has different filters and you can become like a little puppy and some sort of stupid things that, you know, I'm way too old to enjoy. But um, anyway, um, he was playing with, with Mathieu, who really didn't enjoy the laugh at the time. And, and, you know, he's constantly playing pranks. He's been, you know, I remember once he was sat on the stands and um, he was throwing pipas at someone. I think it was another member of the board. He was doing this with Cesc Fabregas, which, you know, <laughs> as bad an influence as in each other as they possibly could have been. Uh, and he's, you know, he does silly things like that. Um, but then again, on your day to day, that sometimes is welcome. That sometimes is enjoyable. And, you know, otherwise, if everyone was 
a little tiny robot, black and white robot, it would just be so boring. So I think because he's so colorful in his personality, I think it really does help the day-to-day being in that dressing room uh, and takes a little bit of pressure. Um, Also the fact that, yes, of course, married to Shakira, um, but at the same time, that makes him even more influential. Like Barca's sponsor right now, Rakuten, that all happened because Piquet managed to establish a relationship with the owner of Rakuten through through Shakira's um, entourage and, and her connections as well. So, And that's ended up generating millions of, of euros for Barca to spend towards our, you know, our merchandise, towards our teams, towards our players, towards the stadium, towards improving what we are as a club. Now, let's not forget as well that Amador Bernabeu and you know, nothing to do with Santiago Bernabeu, who made the Madrid Stadium. But Amador Bernabeu is actually Piquet's grandfather, who was a former vice president at Barca. So from birth, Piquet knows what it is to be part of the board. And I think that that's why he's called El Presidente. And that's why it's natural that he's going to go on to become someone really important, not just on the pitch, but also at board level. Um, he is already a well-renowned businessman, not just because of his celebrity status through football and and his marriage, but also the fact that he's got electronic games and apps and he's always ambitious to be involved in further education establishments such as Harvard. You know, no other Barca player has been to Harvard to study. Uh, I, the only other Barca player that I can think of, and he's a former Barca player, is Pau Gasol from the NBA. He's also been in the same course that Piquet has been. And, you know, this is someone who is out of the ordinary. Um, he's using his influence, influence in social media to, as you said, grow his own brand. But also, I think that his influence is pretty much unlimited. Um, he was the most Googled person in Spain last year, ahead of, I don't know, Barack Obama, Donald Trump, obviously, but Lionel Messi, Ronaldo, Piquet was number one. So I think we're talking about a non-ordinary player who arguably surpasses the values of football. Yeah, I agree on all those points too. And, and as I said, the way he represents Catalonia and the way he is trying his best to dive into the politics of it and and take a stand on it, but never be offensive when it comes time to being serious. Yes, he's very goofy, but he also is serious when he needs to be and, and make sure he chooses his words wisely in those kind of press conferences. The last thing on in this discussion that I'll pose to you is that obviously it should be PK to walk into Mascherano's fourth captain role. But if not PK, the only other choices I could possibly think of would be Jordi Alba, who to me, if between Alba and PK, PK has not only been with FC Barcelona longer, obviously they both played in the academy, but PK has had his return for longer. And again, he also just is more of a leader for all the reasons we spoke than Alba, who's a little more quick tempered on, on the field. And again, his discussions with the officials always seems to have a little more edge to them. Corn, that's why he's nicknamed the squirrel. And then for me, Behind that would then be a distant fifth, I mean, a distant sixth, if you will, would be Marc-Andre Ter Stegen, who I think is going to be a future captain of the club in some capacity, but just not yet. But I think he's working into that role the older he gets and the more of a role that he has as, as a top keeper in the world. But other than that, I, I think, Frances, I don't know if there's a counter-argument to another player besides Pique who deserves the title. No, I think it's quite obvious that he has to be the fourth captain because of all the reasons that we've mentioned before. Um, I think that Luis Suarez will make a good captain too. I mean, obviously, his behavior on the pitch has not been fantastic over the years. But whenever you hear him speak after the games, he's always very well-centered, very well-spoken. 
And I think his ability to communicate is actually quite underrated. And the other one I was thinking about is Sergi Roberto. I think he's going to be a future captain as well. But um, the only reason why I think Piquet may not be the best choice for fourth captain at Barca is the fact that he's so eager to cause a reaction sometimes. And, you know, there was an article at Marca the other day that said he's an incendiario, which is incendiary, which is someone who tries to create burning and, and, and chaos wherever he goes. Obviously, this is Madrid-centered media talking here. But um, I've, I've been thinking about it over the week, and I think that, you know, someone who defends the Barca colors that is excellent on the pitch should really have the chance to represent us. And his, his sort of reactionary measures and, and, and attitudes sometimes may not align very well with the Barca values, but... I think that deep down, he well, deep down, obviously, he knows Barca inside out and deep down, he's got a degree of self-control that he chooses, and that's the key word, chooses, to use or not according to the situation. But undoubtedly, he will be a good choice for me. Yeah, so we'll have to see in the near future if the board and the coaching staff all agree with us on PK receiving that yeah, the fourth captaincy. Well, anyway, we've been talking about the first team a while, but the interview we've got coming up is a little different than anyone we've ever had before. And in this edition of La Entrevista, you spoke with Navid Molagai, who can be found on both Twitter and YouTube. And on Twitter, he discusses a lot about the Youth Academy. And you and Navid really, Frances, take a deep dive into the Academy and La Masia and some names that you and I don't even talk about. And for me, this was one of the most enjoyable interviews that we've had so far. Let's listen to it. Right. Thank you, Dan. So as you explained, I'm joined by Navid Molagai, who is a journalism student from the University of Southern Denmark. He's hugely influential on Barca Twitter and particularly making YouTube video compilations that thousands of hundreds of thousands of people around the world have watched. Navid, how are you today? I'm fine. I'm fine, Frances. How are you? I'm perfect. I'm delighted to be joined by you in our show. It really, uh, really thanks. does mean a lot that you take the time thanks. to be with us. Now, I, I do know for a fact you're very passionate about Barca. So where does all of that love come from? Um, I mean, I started playing football when I was, uh, when I was five. Uh, I'm born in 1995. So around uh, the year 2000, I started playing football and and, you know, to begin with, I didn't have any team. Uh, so I saw all my teammates, they supported these different, uh, all these different teams. And, and then the World Cup came. And while all of my kids, they just loved uh, Ronaldo from Brazil, uh, I was like the only one who was really fascinated about Ronaldinho. Mm -hmm. uh, and then just uh, one year passed and two years passed. And then suddenly I just saw that I just started to see more football. And the first real memory that I have uh, club memory is uh, it's the uh, the Champions League final in 2005 uh, in 2006 and by that time you know with FIFA playing a lot of FIFA and stuff like that I was like Barcelona is going to be my team uh, and then I just yeah I just uh, started following more closely and and you know then Guardiola came and, and changed everything and, and you know everything just exploded from then uh, basically uh, I just yeah, played more and more FIFA and learned more and more about the game and, and, and continued to play football myself and, and kept my interest going. And, and obviously, um, and yeah, I just, I, I was always, I was, from the start, I was very interested in youth football. Uh, so when I learned about uh, the Barca philosophy, 
uh, with yeah with uh, Johan Cruyff and uh, and, and La Masia, I just fall in love uh, with uh, with the club and and since then visited uh, visited Barcelona quite a few times. Uh, also spending basically spending more time uh, in the La Masia, in La Masia at the academy watching their games than the than the first team. Uh, so uh, so yeah, it's just I've I've been a bit lucky, I guess you can say so that. I went through puberty in, in the pep years, so that was pretty uh, fortunate. It really was. I mean, I, <laughs> I, I can tell you I didn't. Um, when I was growing up, um, my teenage years, basically, we, I had the sort of the last end of the Johan Cruyff era, the first mm. Barca dream team, or basically, in my eyes, the only one, because Pep Guardiola mm. wasn't really a dream team. It was an evolution of it. And mm. um, yeah, it was, while it was great, then in my early teens, sorry, my late teens, it was more about Van Hal and, you know, plenty of Dutch players coming over and not yeah, really yeah. making that much of a difference. Uh, our best player at the time was Rivaldo. And, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, that's, that's what, my, in comparison, I had to grow up with. So I'm <laughs> delighted that you could experience that. <laughs> a bit more ups and downs. Definitely. And, and in a way, those years do build your character as well because it they enable you to appreciate what, what did come after. Now, you did yeah. say that you came to Barca because of Ronaldinho and he just recently retired. Um, I just want to ask you, looking back at his career as a whole, what do you think his impact is? Uh, I mean, at, at Barca, it was, it's unexplainable how much uh, how big of an impact he had. Uh, Frank Rijkaard's team was... Uh, uh, it, 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 it had a lot of difficulties to begin with and... Uh, and with his sheer quality, uh, he just lifted the entire team. There's this, uh, there's this great uh, documentary where you follow uh, Juan Laporta's uh, first year as a president, uh, and you can just you can just see how big of an impact Ronaldinho has. He's like, he's the one guy who just uh, keeps everything where where it should be, and and from and from the next season and onwards, he just took the team to uh, an entirely different level and played some football that nobody ha- had been seeing for I don't know how many decades. Uh, obviously, I think, uh, unfortunately, he, uh, he he started to decline pretty quickly. Uh, you could already see in like 2007, uh, especially in the end of uh, the 2007-2008 season, which was... His last, that he, I mean, he was gaining so much weight, and uh, you could still see he had some quality. But, but yeah, you could also see he had some qualities on the dance floor, uh, not just on the <laughs> on the football pitch. So, so it became a bit uh, problematic. Uh, but you know, he left as a legend, and uh, I mean, he he was something very special. And unfortunately, he, uh, the time that he peaked, uh, could have been longer. In, in my opinion, it would have been it would have been pretty nice, but fortunately uh, we got Messi instead, so that's yes. also pretty good. <laughs> Absolutely, and I always sort of say this that without Ronaldinho, there really isn't any Messi. I mean, Messi would have been a, a great player, but I think getting to the heights that he actually has reached, it probably wouldn't have happened without the influence of Ronaldinho at all and the great players he had at the time. Um, also, yeah, I do think that the moment that Ronaldinho did leave, that enabled Messi to go into the next level at the very right time. Um, had Ronaldinho mm. stayed another year, 
I don't know if Messi's progression would have been the same. Now, at the beginning, you did mention that you are a passionate advocate of La Masia. So what is so great about Barca's academy and why has basically no other club in the world been able to copy it? Um, I wouldn't say no other club has been able to copy it because Barca's academy is a copy of uh, the Ajax Amsterdam academy. Uh, as you might know, Johan Cruyff, basically, uh, when he took over as a coach, he took the Ajax philosophy uh, and, I mean, basically just copy it uh, to the Barca uh, philosophy. All uh, all youth teams uh, should play the same way. And back then it was the 3-4-3, now it's the 4-3-3. Uh, and, and then a huge focus should be on getting these players uh, to play the same, not the same way, but in the same varieties of ways. And then just to develop first-team players because... I mean, it's, it's pretty logical. Uh, I mean, you're going to save a lot of money and not and not just from the economical side, also from the sporting side. I mean, if you have 11 players who have never played before uh, versus 11 players who have been playing with each other in the same style for many years, I mean, it's pretty obvious which team is going to function best, not just on the short term, but, but also on the long term. And also, I mean, you will have the more players you have being loyal to the club uh, coming through as uh, like starting from when they were children uh, it's pretty it's it's a pretty privileged position uh, to have so many players coming through your own ranks uh, so the thing about Barca's academy that i like the most is that it's on the highest level uh, ajax's academy isn't that anymore i mean mostly because of the dutch league uh, but but with Barca's academy, they still managed to uh, to develop some of the best talents in the world for the best club in the world, uh, which is pretty pretty impre- impressive, uh, in my opinion, that it has been going on for such a long time. And when I see when I when I see the uh, the players today and the teams and how they play, it's it's ridiculous how many good players they are there, are. and it's ridiculous that every every single Spanish uh, youth side, uh, international uh, national team youth side. I mean, there's at least five Barca players in their lineups. Maybe, maybe four. Uh, sometimes three on in a bad year. Uh, but I mean, just at the under 17 World Cups, there were there were six in the squad and five in the lineup, and all five were very influential uh, at the under 17 World Cups for Spain and in the under 17 Euros for Spain. So it's it's quite impressive, I must say. It really is. It really is. And it's something that makes us proud um, as Cules to see that our players are not just performing for club, but also country. Um, so would you say the Cruyff way is the right way to play? Um, I mean, there's several teams that, especially lately, are parking the bus. And that is something we talked about at length in our previous podcast last episode. And yeah, there's teams like, say, Chelsea, Espanyol and even Valencia that could play better football, but they just choose to park the bus. So would you say that's the wrong way to play and Barca's is the right way? What's your thought on that? I mean, obviously, I'm, I'm pretty biased, but I think uh, I think it's pretty obvious which uh, who has been the most uh, uh, the most uh, the most successful playing which way uh, I prefer. 
I prefer to watch football that is uh, very high tempo, much possession, much uh, high pressing. Uh, some prefer to stay deep, uh, but obviously uh, the best team is going to have the ball the most. I mean, that's that's basically my philosophy. I mean, if you have the ball the most, uh, not only do you have the biggest chances of scoring, I mean, it's you controlling the play. Uh, I mean, it's 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 both good attackingly and defensively because when you have the ball, obviously your opponent is not going to be able to score unless they they take it from you in a in a bad position. But uh, if you have the ball, uh, all the odds, most of the odds are with you, not against you. And and all, but also, I mean, it's, it's it's the hardest thing to do in football. I mean, it's much easier just to sit back and. And defend in a deep line than to uh, than to have eleven players in front of you trying to find the right spaces uh, to go through on goal. So, so I, I mean, I can understand if uh, if you support a team that that's defensively, and then you say, oh well, that's another way of playing, and it's not a bad way of playing. Uh, I think I think there are nuances to it. Uh, I mean, I I respect I really respect Cholo Simeone's job at uh, at uh, at Atletic at Atleti, and uh, but I would prefer to play another way. Uh, but it also depends that uh, which players you have. Uh, I mean, with all the good attacking players he's having right now at uh, Atletico de Madrid, uh, I mean. I could see a more attacking coach might have more success with those players. Yeah, and that that is the key, isn't it? I mean, a lot of coaches, they just have to make the most out of the tools they've got. And when faced with teams like Barca, they just choose to defend because they don't, they don't think they can beat Barca in their own game, which, to be honest, I don't think is always right. I mean, if you think about two, three seasons ago when Pep Guardiola was at Bayern Munich, they really gave us a good beating, basically, because they, they took the, the game to us. And, um, yeah, your thoughts are really, really interesting on that. Now, before the interview, we talked, and um, you said very briefly a sentence that stuck with me, which was, I really do hate it when people ask me, is La Masia dead? Yes. So I'm going to ask you, is La Masia dead? <laughs> <laughs> and I really hate when people ask me that. There you go. That's why I'm asking you. <laughs> because the obvious question is no. I mean, it's 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 really silly. Uh, I mean, first of all, um, the way you can judge talents is by seeing how good they become in the future. So, like, when you see a 15-year-old player, you can't say, Oh, he is the best talent there is. I mean, you can only see when he turns uh, 25 or maybe even 35 when his career is over, how good he has actually been. And uh, by those, uh, by seeing how good he is, maybe you can then generalize that uh, to the academy from where he was developed. <laughs> so it's it's pretty, I think it's pretty ridiculous to say just, when just in one year, when when there there aren't any uh, first team uh, La Masia promotions, I think it's pretty ridiculous to say, oh, now La Masia is dead. We will never have another uh, Xavi, Iniesta, Puyol, Valdez, Messi, Pique, Pedro generation. And when you even say that, that's a generation in, I mean, quote generation that's banded over like 
10 years. Yep. So, so it's, I mean, not 10, I mean, nine, eight, nine years. So it's also about patience. Uh, and, and yeah, again, like I mentioned before, when I see which players are in the team, are in the teams and how good they are and how good football they play, I mean, there's absolutely no reason to be worried. Okay. Uh, Right, that's really interesting. You said, I mean, I mean, you you said when we were talking bef- uh, a couple of days ago before the part, you said you said to me that it would be nice to speak about the biggest talents of of La Masia. So mm-hmm. I sat down and I made an uh, I made an I made a I just made eleven dots on a paper and said, okay, I'll I'll go through all the teams in my head and all the players, and then I'll just I'm not all the players all the players that I've noticed, and then I'll just write down the, those whom I uh, think are the most special from right. each of those teams. And That's I amazing. ended up, and I ended, <laughs> and I ended up with uh, 40 players. Oh, wow. And, and if you see, uh, there are seven players from, uh, there are seven teams from this uh, 11 aside. And so I just went, all the starting lineups through uh, from Barca B to Infantil B, which is uh, which are the under thir- under four teams, so the thirteen year olds. Uh, so the players are between thirteen and twenty years of age, and there are there are forty. Uh, and obviously, I'm not a scout. I'm I'm not a experienced La Masia. Coach, I don't know how these players train. I just watch them uh, once in a while and and judge my opinions on what those people who follow them regularly, uh, more regularly than I am, and follow them professionally say about them. But it's it's quite ridiculous. And and if you and if you were to put a gun uh, to my head and say, name the five who are going to make it on the first team i would prefer that you end my life because it's absolutely <laughs> impossible well, for me to for me to say so we don't want to kill you at this moment <laughs> we haven't finished the interview just give me five minutes and we may change our mind so um where can our listeners follow your work online um they can uh, right now i'm not so active on twitter but they can they can follow me on uh, handle uh, navid John, so N A V D J A A N. But I think I think they should they should follow uh, Young Coolers, uh, Young Coolers on uh, on Twitter. That's uh, that's the place where I I, I write me uh, uh, I and uh, and uh, and a couple of other guys from uh, from Barca Twitter who uh, who follow La Masia closely. We uh, we we write there, and uh, I think. Uh, I think it's a pretty important account. Uh, we also have a quite a lot of followers, so I would expect that a lot of your listeners uh, already know about us. But uh, but yeah, it's uh, it's a couple of places to to start with. Of course, I've been following your work in there for many years now. So as I said, it's been great to have you here, sharing your expertise <laughs> with our listeners. Um, all Thanks. the best, Navid, and hopefully we can talk again in the future. Again, Frances, that was Navid Molagai 
can be found on Twitter and YouTube if you look him up. But also the second half of that interview is going to be found on Patreon. And if we didn't get to all of it in this edition or the first 20 minutes of the interview, make sure you have your pencil and paper out and you're writing down some of those players that Navid is mentioning for both the cadet teams and the the Juvenile A, of course, and the Juvenile B really getting into the weeds. So again, pen and paper, write all those names down, go back to it in six or seven years and see how good Naveed got it right on terms of players sticking around at the club. Hopefully, again, that Barcelona can take some of those less polished jewels and turn them into full-flown diamonds. And Frances, I know that you can't turn a jewel into a diamond. I'm well aware, even though I'm not in London dealing with the queen like you. Of course, I've got three queens at home, my wife and my two daughters. So there you go. Well, and, and, the, and the queen, of course, as you're in London. No, I've never seen her. Actually, I've seen her sister in a car, to be honest, but I've never seen her. So, I, like my dad says, my dad, actually, this is nothing to do with the podcast, but my dad believes that um, the Eiffel Tower is all a farce because he's never seen it. So he's like, yeah, th- th- these French people keep talking about that tower, but I haven't seen it with my own eyes, so it doesn't exist. That's my dad for you. Well, I think for, for us, you know, you grew up around the Camp No, but for me, you know, I can say recently that I didn't. I can only imagine how good Messi was until I saw it in person. And then when I'm watching, and you know, where we're watching on the computer on different games, of course, here in the U.S. And my wife would always, as as we were watching more and more, she would look out and say, "Oh, is that which one is that?" Uh, having a hard time figuring out which one Messi was with you know the tiny little people. Is that Iniesta? Is that Messi? But then when you see it in person, just the way he moves, you say, "Oh, that's obviously Messi." He goes from standing still to running in a sprint faster than the eyes can follow him and it just happens in a flash and that's why he's the best ever because no one else can do that well that's actually our patreon question and not is he the best ever but whether or not Messi can be rested for Barcelona so if you want again listen to that patreon show you can have that one out tomorrow and check it out where we break down whether or not Barcelona can risk resting Messi Anyway, we've got La Ronda questions today, but before that, a little bit of updates on Barca B and Barca Femini. Barca B, 2-1 win over Cordoba over the weekend, a win that propelled them all the way up into 13th place from 19th, so they jumped six spots. They've got 30 points now. A goal in the 93rd minute was scored by a new signing, and of course, there's plenty of those for Barcelona B right now, as we've talked about in previous weeks. Mateus Nahuel. After an equalizing penalty goal from Carlos Alenia in the 78th minute, as Alenia continues to score, and as we like to say in the U.S., put the team on his back. New signing, Marcus McGuain, the Englishman, also could be for Ireland as well. A youth player came from Arsenal, also debuted for Barcelona B, coming in as a substitute alongside another new signing in Martin Hangla, Cameroonian centre-back. Balou Tabla, the Canadian winger, stayed on the bench, but made the bench. And Juvenil A midfielder Ricard Puig, took the spot of Sergio Gomez, who's recently gone to Borussia Dortmund, on the bench and getting his debut on the bench, if you will, and maybe he'll see action in future games coming up. The crazy thing, though, in the table is that Albaceta is in 11th place with 32 points, and then in 19th place is Cultural Leonesa with 29 points. Five different teams technically are tied for 13th place on 30 points, and it is an absolute dogfight for the last relegation spot. So Barcelona B, even though they've jumped up, there's eight teams, nine teams fighting to stay out of that one relegation spot because in the Segunda Division, the last four spots are all relegated, and it looks like the bottom three are generally set in stone, but that last spot, the 19th place in the table, 
a team that is probably better or good enough to stay up is going to be sent down in the Segunda Division. So Barcelona B, they're having good results now. It seems like they've integrated a lot of the new players, and they're certainly interesting to watch for nothing else than Carlos Alenia and his goal scoring from the midfield. Meanwhile, for the Barca Femini, a 0-0 draw against Real Sociedad, a little bit of a hiccup. They're now back on 47 points with Atletico Madrid. So now the pressure back on. They still lead by goal differential, but now they've got to take care of business and not afford to let any other points slip. And it is good to see that Barca B are picking up. Um, I think the girls are going to be fighting against um, Atletico Madrid for the rest of the season. Um, not great that they dropped some points against Real Sociedad, but then again, they are a very, very feisty team that made it very difficult for Atletico the previous week. So, you know, I think it's it's going to be a long-term battle to the finish line. Well, let's try to get to the finish line of episode 60 as we continue the ronda with questions from our Patreons today. Blessed Guebo asked, Umtiti is solid, needs to improve his offensive headers in the opponent's box, much like Pique and Paulinho and Puyol. You'd want him to get to that level. What else does he need to improve on, that being Umtiti? And this gave me a lot of thought, Frances. I, I'm really not sure. He has such a mobility to his game where he gets from sideline to sideline and that allows those fullbacks to really push up the field well. And if you don't have a mobile center back to cover the width of the field, not just not just north to south, but the width of the field. And he covers all of that so well. And he's such a defensive stalwart with his headers. But yeah, offensively, what can he add? I think his passing could get a little more crisp on long balls. And I think the more he finds and gets into his roles, he'll take more chances that way as well. So I think Umtiti is just, we'd like to see some more self-expression offensively from him. And I agree with Blessed Webbo on that. I think we always need to be looking ahead at improving. And I, I obviously can't disagree with that. But you know, he's been absent for, what, five, six weeks with an injury? And he's come back and he just locked it in like a glove. He was fantastic against Valencia and Espanyol again. Uh, arguably, he was man of the match against Valencia. Um, he was just an incredibly powerful beast that can get everywhere um, within a second. It really was impressive. I think his positioning is spot on. Um Despite the fact that he's so strong and, you know, his stamina is, is, is through the roof, I think he's quite careful when he tackles um, in terms of not getting yellow or red cards uh, because, you know, when you've got so much so much of you moving around, it can be difficult, especially under the pouring rain in Espanol. But um, so I just want to say that he's a fantastic player. Now, if there's something to improve, obviously he could refine his passing a little bit. Um, I think he's... Temper is one of his greatest assets, so I'm not even going to mention that as something to improve. I love the fact that he gets angry. I love the fact that he can get stuck in. And I love the fact that he respects every other player, but he doesn't melt under pressure. So in terms of improving, I think his passing could be a little bit more sharp. But beyond that, I think we've got a fantastic player for the years to come. Yeah, I know he played some right back as well. Not Umtiti, but he reminds me of Lillian Thuram. From back in the day, the French defender, while Thuram, uh, I think an inch or two shorter than Umtiti, just the way they have their command, the way they play within their bodies athletically, because as you said, Umtiti is a guy that as his size and his strength, if he barrels into a winger, that could be an instant red card every time because he could, with his speed and his strength, he would obliterate players if he played another sport such as rugby or Goodness, I'd love to watch him on skates on in playing hockey and check somebody into the boards. But nevertheless, Umtiti at his size, I mean, again, he could really hurt people out there. But the dexterity and the 
way that he controls his body, the attention to detail on keeping his arms down and just letting his frame do its job physically is one of the things that, again, reminds me of the way Lillian Thurum moved and worked with his body. Again, the comparisons work because he's a, another French defender where, again, Thurum was both a center back and a right back. But MTD, I, I mean, I would believe that if you put him at right back that he would do just as well with just how quick he is and mobile. And yes, he wouldn't be able to get forward in Barca systems the way that our fullbacks are expected to. But again, you could argue that not every fullback we've had over the course of the last few seasons has been able to do that the ways that the best of the best have as well. Question number two, Matthew Lazardi asked, will the rumors about what Sergio Garcia said to Umtiti, as we still talk about Umtiti, and what the fans were chanting, why does the board not come out in support of them? And why is there no punishment from La Liga? PK is reportedly getting investigated for the comments he made about Espanyol and Cornea, but nothing for racism from Espanyol fans and players. And to me, friends, says there's another question in the Patreon show coming on this, but I'm actually most, not even about punishment. You can answer those questions that he asked, but for me, I, I'm just frustrated at a player like Sergio Garcia, who's been such a professional at Espanyol for such a long time. And again, he's played with PK and he has relationships with Alba and Roberto and Busquets and guys who play with him and who are part of that greater Catalonian community. And for him to potentially say the things he did. And again, there's no reason when you watch the match, you watch the reactions of the players that he did make these kind of statements to Umtiti because the way Umtiti, as you talked about with his level head, very rarely do you watch him lose his cool, but you could tell that something was said and that match shifted in the way that everyone was acting. It was rainy and there's a lot of fouls and everyone's mad because it's the Catalonian Derby, of course. So there's a lot of ugly fouling studs are flying everywhere but yet there became something in terms of the in terms of vernacular of the statements being made to players and some of that dialogue that really got sour and then of course PK and Gerard Moreno took it one extra level with their goals and their celebrations and then the foul by Moreno on PK that's where it boiled over but truly it started with Umtiti and Garcia and it really is a disgusting thing if Garcia did say those things. Right, there's, there's two things here. The first thing I want to talk about is Piquet's comments on Cornellà. He is not lying. You know, Cornellà is a town outside Barcelona. You've got Barcelona city center, and then you drive towards the airport, the, El Aeroport del Prat, and on the way to the airport, around 10, 15 minutes outside Barcelona, you go past Cornellà, and that's where the stadium is. So Piquet is not lying. Cornellà is not part of Barcelona, and and you know I can have, I can be saying this till you know the, the, the stars come off the sky and <laughs> we've got a, you know the massive explosion as a result. It's not part of Barcelona. It is part of the locality of Barcelona. It's um, it's a different town. It's not Barcelona at all. It is within the metropolitan area, but you know obviously. I can't really compare it to wherever you guys are listening to the podcast here because I don't really know where you are now. But say in London, for example, that's like saying that Essex is part of London. That's like saying that a town that's not Barcelona is part of it. It really isn't. So Piquet's not really saying anything that's wrong. Um, obviously, he did say it to annoy them. And that goes back to what we discussed in La Gran Pregunta. But he's not lying. Now, in terms of Umtiti and what what is said on the pitch. Uh, there's always this sentence, what's said on the pitch stays on the pitch. Um, 
I'm probably going to be a bit controversial here. I agree with the club's posture of not doing anything about it. And the reason why I say that is that the players sorted it out themselves. Umtiti was annoyed because of the unacceptable behavior. I don't think there is a need to go and check what was said. Everyone that was there knows what was said. Sergio knows what he said. Umtiti clearly heard it. Piqué obviously heard it as well because he was pushing Umtiti away. So I think that they sorted it out in their own way. Uh, then they went to the dressing rooms. They had some words in there. But I think as club level, I don't really want my club to be as picky as to he said, he said, but he said, but he said. I don't really care about that. If Espanol want to be picky about it, then let them be. I think Barca should be a step above, as we always are, and in this occasion, do nothing about it. I know that answer is not going to satisfy everybody, but I clearly think that Barca should not get involved with that sort of picky behavior. I always think about when Dani Alves got abused, they threw a banana at him, and he just ate it. You know, and I think that reaction stays on the pitch. He made a point of it, he edited, threw it away, and, and that's done and dusted. I don't think Barca should get involved at club level with that. Obviously, unacceptable behavior, but I think if Barca did anything further, it would just make the situation bigger. And I don't think it needs to be. And everyone that was there heard it, and it's, ta it's time to move on. Um, it is something that has to change, but I don't think Barca getting involved would be the right move to do that. Yeah, it's such a difficult topic to really try to break down because, as we said, Danny Alves took it as as a consummate, not only professional athlete, but as a consummate human being, just someone who was trying to push it off and say, if, if you're going to try to hurt me, you can't hurt me. I'm stronger and above that. And it's the perfect response from Danny Alves. Um, but I think the greater point is where PK can talk about location of a team or, you know, trash talk is such a part of the game. These are the most competitive people in, potentially in the world. And they're going to say certain things and they're going to attack each other uh, with really direct insults, but to me, as has been the case over the last few years, and is FIFA's stance that there is no place for any racial abuse of any kind in the sport. And I think, on a personal level, if, if there if there are no ramifications coming down from the Liga or any higher powers like that, Sergio Garcia, when he goes home, should be absolutely ashamed of himself for making the game worse than it was when before he opened his mouth. And I think that's. The bigger problem to me here that if those kind of things go unpunished, the worry is they're going to continue. And we really need to snuff out all racism in the sport completely. Well, unfortunately, Frances, ending on a little bit of a down note. But again, the good news is, the bigger news is, Barcelona 22 matches unbeaten in the Liga. The best start ever. And it's an exciting thing with this kind of club. And more exciting, we've got a n more content in our Patreon show coming out most likely tomorrow. So, Frances, that wraps it up for another edition of the Barcelona Podcast, episode number 60. Thanks so much for listening. Bringing the hottest breaking stories from the camp. No, until next time, talk to you soon. Forza Barca. Forza. Forza.